your Bibles to Genesis 42. but focusing on 35 through 38. Two American friends who were visiting a country in South America, when they committed a capital crime and faced the death squad, firing squad, Before their execution, the squad commander asked if there were any final requests, and the first said, yeah, before I die, I want you to play the achy, breaky heart song so I can do that dance one more time. And the commander said, we can do that. And then he looked at the other man and he said, "Uh, do you have any requests? And he said, yes, shoot me first. This morning, we're going to look at despair, and we're going to look at Jacob's life today. We've been focusing on uh, Joseph's brothers, and now we're going to focus on Jacob, and we're going to see how he faced the trials of his life and how they affected him. And we're going to learn from this, hopefully, how we can defeat despair with a walk of faith. Look at Genesis 42, verse 18. This is the Word of God. Now Joseph said to them on the third day, Do this and live, for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers be confined in your prison. But as for the rest of you, go, carry grain for the famine of your households, and bring your youngest brother to me, so your words may be verified, and you will not die. And they did so. Then they said to one another, Truly we are guilty concerning our brother, because we saw the distress of his soul when he pleaded with us, yet we would not listen." Therefore, this distress has come upon us. Reuben answered them, saying, Did I not tell you? Do not sin against the boy, and you would not listen. Now comes the reckoning for his blood. They did not know, however, that Joseph understood, for there was an interpreter between them. He turned away from them and wept, but when he returned to them, he spoke to them. He took Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes. Then Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain and to restore every man's money in his sack and to give them provisions for the journey. And thus it was done for them. So they loaded their donkeys with grain and departed from there. And one of them opened his sack to give his donkey fodder at the lodging place. For he saw his money, and behold, it was in the mouth of his sack. Then he said to his brothers, My money has been returned, and behold, it is even in my sack. And their hearts sank, and they turned trembling to one another, saying, What is this that God has done to us? When they came to their father, Jacob, in the land of Canaan, they told him all that happened to them, saying, The man, the Lord of the land, spoke harshly with us, and he took us for spies of the country. But we said to him, We are honest men. 
We are not spies. We are twelve brothers, sons of our father. One is no longer alive, and the youngest is with our father today in the land of Canaan. The man, the Lord of the land, said to us, By this I will know that you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers with me, and take the grain for the famine of your households, and go. But bring your youngest brother to me, that I may know that you are not spies, but honest men. And I will give your brother to you, and you may trade in the land. Now it came about as they were emptying their sacks, that behold, every man's bundle of money was in his sack. And when they and their father saw the bundles of money, they were dismayed. Their father Jacob said to them, You have bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more, and Simeon is no more, and you would take Benjamin? All these things are against me. Then Reuben spoke to his father, saying, You may put my two sons to death if I do not bring him back to you. Put him in my care, and I will return him to you. But Jacob said, My son shall not go down with you. For his brother is dead, and he alone is left. If harm should befall him on the journey you are taking, then you will bring my gray hair down to Sheol in suffering, in sorrow. Jacob was in despair. He was feeling sorry for himself. He felt like everything was against him. He had lost his son Joseph, or at least he thought he did. Now Simeon was in prison, and there was the possibility now of him losing Benjamin. And instead of trusting his God in this situation, God and his promises, he instead turns to himself like many times we do. And when things are out of control in our lives, many times we try to grab control. And we try to grab control, in a sense, away from God. And that's what Jacob was doing by not allowing Benjamin to go to Egypt. And the first thing that we're going to look at this morning is the enemies of our soul. Have you ever felt like Jacob? I bet you every hand could be raised, right? I'm sure everybody's felt that before. Where you think everything and everybody is against you. You know, maybe things aren't going right at work or your marriage is struggling or your kids think you're mean or the dog doesn't greet you when you get home. Now that's the worst thing, right? The dog not greeting you. Is everything against you? Well, Jacob felt that way. He felt like everything was against him, and so he was sinking in despair. Now, was he right in thinking that way? No. Everything wasn't against him. But there were some things against him, and there's some things that are always against us too. And that is the world, the flesh, And the devil, the world, what is the world? 
You know, it's not the terra firma that we stand on, but it's this sinful age that we live in. It's the system that drives us to envy our neighbor, to covet what our neighbor has. It's the system that promotes us to be selfish and to win at any cost. It's the ideals that promote us as self being number one or for us to grab for all the gusto that we can in this life instead of living for God's glory and His glory alone. It's like a salmon swimming upstream. You know, that's what they're called to do. But if they stop swimming, what happens? They go with the flow. Romans 12.2 says this, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of the mind. And if we are not renewing the mind, then we are being conformed to this world. There's no neutral ground. You've stopped swimming and you're headed downstream. And that's what the world does to us. Well, what about the flesh? What is the flesh? The flesh is the remnant of sin that is remaining in each of us as Christians that challenges us every day against us trying to live a godly life. Paul describes it this way in Romans 7. He says this, I find this principle of evil that is present in me, the one who wants to do good. So, when you're trying to have a quiet time, when you're trying to read your Bible or pray, many times your sinful flesh is warring against you. And it's, it's warring against you trying to stop you from growing in spiritual growth and living for the glory of God. Well, the third thing that wars against us is the devil who is pictured as a roaring lion in 1 Peter 5, looking for someone to devour. Those are the enemies that we face. And those are the enemies that Jacob faced. But what was the specific enemy that Jacob was facing on that day? Well, I could just describe it as his sons. His ten sons, who were being influenced by the world, the flesh, and the devil. You might be thinking, well, what about the devil, Mark? When, when did the devil you know, tempt the sons? Well, think of the time they plotted to kill Joseph. Do you think the devil was involved with that? I do. I do. But listen to what Galatians 5, 19-21 says. It says, Now the deeds of the flesh are evident which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like this of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. You see, these brothers were controlled by the flesh. They envied what they did not have. They were jealous over their brother's accomplishment. 
The anger and bitterness towards Joseph continued to build until final fruition in which they sold Joseph into slavery. And I'm sure it continued after Joseph left the household. Look at verses 35 through 38, and we'll see the main reason that Jacob was in his state of despair. Look at 35. It says, Now it came about, as they were emptying their sacks, that, behold, every man's bundle of money was in his sack. And when they and their father saw their bundles of money, they were dismayed. They were in dread. They were fearful. They were anxious. You know, know, I'm thinking, why? You know, you got your money back. You got the grain. You got your money. It's like a blue light special at Kmart, right? Why were they in dread? Well, look back at verse 28. When the first brother discovers the money, what does he say? He says, my money has been returned. And behold, it is even in my sack. And what happened? Their hearts sank. And they turned trembling to one another, saying, What is this that God has done to us? They knew that God was involved in all of this. And they knew it was because of their sin against their brother, Joseph. And so then, when they get there, they relate this story to their father Jacob, and they tell about this ruler who was harsh to them, who questioned their honesty. And so by finding this money in their sack, this questioned more the integrity of these brothers. You know, even Jacob could have started thinking, wait a minute, what about this story that they're telling me? Is this true? In fact, Jacob already questioned his son's honesty. Look back at verse 4 of 42. When they they were going to go to Egypt the first time, and Jacob said, there is no way you're going to take Benjamin. He said this, I am afraid that harm may befall him. Why did he say that? Because he'd already lost Joseph. And he wasn't going to let his other son, Benjamin, go with his sons he started to distrust them at this point look at verse 38 36 through 38 their their father jacob said to them you have bereaved me of my children joseph is no more simeon is no more and you would take benjamin all of these things are against me then reuben spoke to his father saying You may put my two sons to death if I do not bring him back to you. Put him in my care, and I will return him to you. But Jacob said, My son shall not go down with you, for his brother is dead, and he alone is left. If harm should befall him on the journey you are taking, then you will bring my gray hair down to Sheol, in sorrow. So Jacob at this point directly blames his sons for the loss of Joseph and Simeon. Now if he would have believed the story concerning Joseph, 
about the wild animal devouring him, I don't think he would have blamed them directly. So he's, at this point, doubting the truthfulness of his sons. And at this point, Reuben steps up to the plate. And this is a noble act, but it's kind of a crazy act, because he says, if I do not return your son to you, then you can kill your grandsons. That's kind of crazy, isn't it? You know, Jacob's probably scratching his head saying, what are you thinking? Jacob would have none of this. He would not give control of his youngest son, Benjamin, to Reuben or to any of his sons. He did not trust his sons at this point, and ultimately, he was not trusting in his God. Now let's look at the third point, which is destroying despair. If you look at this story, you can see a major contrast going on between the life of Joseph and the life of Jacob. When they face trials, what happens? Well, we've already seen from chapter 37 in the life of Joseph, when he faces trials, what does he do? He trusts in his God. He knows that his God's in control. He knows that his God is working all things together for good for him. Well, what about Jacob? The contrast is Jacob wasn't trusting his God. He was so focused on his trial that he was forgetting everything about his God. And many times we are tempted in the same way when we face the trials of life. We start thinking that everyone... And everything is against us. We focus on the negatives and forget about all the ways that God has blessed us. That's what Jacob was doing that day when his sons returned to eat from Egypt. He was overly focused on the size of his trial instead of focusing on the size of his God. He stopped thinking about the power and the person, and the promises of his God. Now, what had God told him? Well, he had told him this in the past. In Genesis 28, when he was a younger man, he was in Bethel. And God said to Jacob, I am the Lord your God, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land in which you are lying. Your descendants will be as the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. All the peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I will be with you and watch over you wherever you go. What an amazing promise that he heard that day. But was he trusting in that? Was he trusting in that when he faced the trial of his life? In fact, I think he was trying to fulfill this this passage by himself. He started to control his life. He started to take control instead of trusting the God who said, I'm going to do this. I'm going to make your descendants as the dust of the earth. I'm going to make your descendants so they bless the whole earth. All the peoples of the earth will be blessed through your descendants I think Jacob started 
disbelieving that and started to try to control it through his son Reuben, I mean Benjamin. He was the only son left. He was the only son left who was the son of Rachel. He thought Joseph had died. He didn't know, and he wouldn't know this until Genesis 49, that the Messiah would come through the tribe of Judah. Trusting in his God. And it's sort of like if you had a best friend. A best friend who was a gazillionaire. Okay? Gazillion's a lot of money, right? He's a gazillionaire. And not only is he a gazillionaire, but he's the president of the United States. So he has power. He has money. You've known him since first grade. He's your best friend. Your whole life, he tells you, if you ever have any problems, if you ever have a need for money, if you ever need a lawyer, if you ever need a doctor, if you ever need anything, I will pay for it. I will help you in anything you need. So let's say, 20 years later, you owe $10,000 to somebody. And for the whole year, you're fretting about this money that you owe this person. In fact, you're worrying so much, you're anxious so much, that you end up in the hospital with a bleeding ulcer. You're about ready to die because you're so worried about this. And then your friend finds out about it, and he flies down from Washington, and he comes to your hospital room, and he looks at you, and he says, What is wrong with you? Why didn't you come to me? Why didn't you come to me? $10,000? Do you know how much money I have? How many times do we do that to God? The one who owns everything? That's what Jacob was doing. He was so focused on his trial that he missed his God. And you know what? In Genesis 15, his grandfather, Abraham, was given the same promise. Remember? Your descendants will be as the sand on the seashore. And then, after 35 years of waiting, what happens? He's given a son, Isaac. And he rejoices, I've got my son! Yes! The promises of God are going to happen. I know it now. I can see it. And then what does God do? He says, by the way, Abraham, in Genesis 22, I want you to take your son, your only son, your only begotten son that you love, I want you to take him out and sacrifice him. What did I, you know, I'm getting hard of hearing too now. But Abraham, you know, he was over 100. And he probably said, what? I want you to take your son and sacrifice him at Mount Moriah. So what did Abraham do? Did he, did he start grumbling and complaining to God? Did he say that everything is against him? Now, let me... Let me say this. Abraham was a man just like all of us. Except for you women, I mean, you know. 
He was a man, a normal man. In fact, he messed up. Remember Ishmael came from his mess up? But did he say that everything was against him? No. Did he fall into despair? No. Instead, what did he do? He took his son to Mount Moriah. He took him up on the mountain. He raised the knife to kill his son. And then the angel of the Lord came to him and said, Stop! Now I know that you fear God. How did Abraham do such a work of obedience? How did he do that? Because he trusted in his God. But here, here's the amazing thing. If you look at Hebrews eleven nineteen, it tells you a secret that Abraham was thinking when he was about ready to kill his son, that he knew, and here, amazing faith, he knew that even if he killed his son that day, it says in Hebrews eleven nineteen that he knew that God could even raise his son from the dead to keep his promise to Abraham. Now that is amazing. And that's the faith that his grandson needed to have in his God. But Jacob had lost one son and was facing the possibility of losing two more. And, and focusing on this trial had driven him to despair. Instead, what he needed to do was remember his God who is greater than his circumstance. Jacob was being controlled by his circumstances instead of being controlled by his faith. And this reminds me of a story in 2 Kings chapter 6 of Elijah and his servant. And during this time period of Elijah, the people of Israel were at war with the king of Aram, and this king was more powerful than Israel. And so many times they would go and fight each other, but God would allow Israel to win, even though the king of Aram and his armies were much more powerful. And the way that they won is this. The king would set traps for Israel, and then God would tell Elisha what the trap was, and then Elijah would go to the king of Israel and tell him what was going to happen. And so they'd avoid the traps, and they would win the war. So the king of Aram, he, he, got, you know, he got wise to this, and he started thinking, we've got a traitor in our midst. Somebody's taking word to Israel about our traps, our plots against them. So he asked his men this. He said, who's the traitor? And they answered back in 2 Kings 6.12, None of us, my lord, the king. And I don't know how they knew this, but they said this. But Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. So whatever he spoke, God was taken to Elijah, and Elijah was taking it to Israel. So when he, when he heard this, he said, well, then I'll just get rid of Elijah. And I'll send my army down to Dothan. And by the way, Dothan is the place where Joseph was sold into slavery. So the king of Aram sends his armies to Dothan to capture Elijah. 
And in the early morning, they surround Dothan. And Elisha's servant walks out of the town, and he's probably going to get water, and he sees this vast army surrounding the city. And he, he's terrified. So he runs back to Elisha, you know, and he's probably thinking, we're going to die. You know, we're going to be killed. And so what does Elisha say to him? He says this, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And the funny thing is, I, I can imagine the servant sitting there looking at Elisha and saying, Right. Right. You know? Because here he is, he's seeing this army surrounding the city, and he's probably thinking, my uh, master is losing it. Right? So then, Elijah says, well, God, open up his eyes so he can see. And what does he see? He sees a mountain full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And then I'm sure he said, wow, what a vast army that's protecting us. You know, chariots of fire, that's pretty cool. You know, you don't have to worry when you got chariots of fire behind you. So, you know, I'm sure he wasn't filled with fear anymore. But just think on that day how fearful Jacob was. When his nine sons come back to him and there's still money in their sacks. And then they say to him, you, we must take Benjamin back to Egypt. You know, I bet you his heart sunk in fear. And what he needed to hear that day was the words of Elijah that say, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Jacob could have responded, you don't get it. You know, I've lost my son Joseph. Simeon is no more, and I'm about ready to lose Benjamin. No, Jacob, do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Or they also could have said, Joshua 1.9, do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Or greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Or Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Or Romans 8.37, know in all these things that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Today. What are some of the temptations that are overcoming you? What are some of the enemies that are surrounding you? Have you faced these trials so long like Jacob? Have you faced them so long that you are in despair? Are you focusing so much on the trial that you've forgotten God and His promises? Ask God now, like Elisha, 
to open up your eyes, to see the army of God that resides in you. The power of God through the Holy Spirit, the power of God through the Holy Spirit that raised Christ from the dead indwells you. You know, there's a simple song that we sing or that most people have sung when they were kids. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. You know, that is one of the strongest, strongest messages that you will ever hear. And a simple message, but a strong message. And many times what we do is we look at our circumstances like Jacob and we fail to see God's love. And we look at ourselves and we fail to trust in God's promises. But this little simple song, this little simple song tells us to look beyond all that we face and look back to our God and look back to His Word and trust that His love will never fail us. Nothing can separate us from His love. And remember this, that greater is He that is in you than He that is in the world. Let's pray together. Thank you for the simple message of that song. Father, we, love, we know that you love us based on your promise from your word to us because of Christ and because of Christ alone. Lord, help us to trust in that promise no matter how we feel, no matter what we fear, no matter what trial we face today or in the future, help us to know that you will never fail us, that you are always there with us, that you are the mighty army that indwells us. Help us to trust you, Lord, with everything. Father, we thank you for the power of the gospel and how it can change our lives. Help us to continue to trust in you and not to look away from you. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.